0: Are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay BCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512-967-967. 6454 to learn more. And With that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Thorne, DVM, PCC, BCC, and the founder of Gifted Leaders, LLC, an established executive and team coaching company based in Phoenix, Arizona. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: I'm happy to be here, Isaiah. Thanks for uh, inviting me.
0: Absolutely. And If you recall and you listened to a prior episode, Jeff was one of those that was so kind to be at the vet partners meeting and, and be involved in the one question episode. And so from that conversation, wanted to, to bring Jeff back on and, and talk a little bit more about coaching and some of the different things that, that he's doing in the veterinary medicine community. And with that, do you want to kind of share your, your vet med story and, and how you got into coaching and what that all looked like?
1: I, I, I can do that. I'll try to, I'll try to give you the short version, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, uh, Graduated from vet school and um, uh, focused on small animal medicine and uh, actually ended up uh, as a small animal practitioner. The reality is, yeah, the the handwriting was on the wall in vet school. Uh, I just wasn't quite ready to probably be aware of it or or accept it at that point. But uh, I realized that although I, I really liked the work I did with the team, you know, in the practice, I really enjoyed the client interface and you know client education um, I was becoming clearer and clearer that I was while I was good at science in school um, I could actually do the work I really wasn't passionate about the hands-on work with with the pets and with and certainly the scientific aspect of it so I really liked the people stuff less so with everything else so I at that point started to look at what are my career options and I had been an animal nutrition major um, and really as a, as a means to an end that that you know to get into vet school, um, but that did open the door. Hills was hiring at that point. So I basically went from practice into industry. I worked for Hills for a while and then actually with Novartis um, in technical support roles. And all along, I was really getting, you know interested in what are the people aspects of these various businesses. I was still kind of masquerading using my technical skills. Um, Not being fully comfortable with that, but enjoying the process of learning and growing in different ways. And uh, I got very interested in leadership, I got very interested in teams and organizational culture, and how does this all work, how does it all fit together. And so another career opportunity, a little pivot opportunity came along and uh, I took a role as the director of recruitment and development, professional recruitment and development for us, then a small corporate group and spent about five years in that role. And that was a big shift because I was able to kind of move away from the technical support roles, which I could do, but wasn't totally uh, passionate about. And I was in more of an HR role, more of a role within the organization where I could have an influence on the company's culture and on how that developed and um, got really interested in recruiting um, folks that had leadership potential, developing a leadership culture. Lasted about five years until that group got bought by a larger group and there really wasn't a future for me there. So it was kind of the proverbial, the little bird is in the nest and gets pushed out and has to test his wings. I'd been thinking about starting my own consulting business because at that point i had really become a student of leadership and uh, organizational culture and that was really kind of i didn't really have another choice so <clears throat> i started that and i uh, was actually doing team building work using the myers-briggs type indicator and uh i happened along uh, or upon an article uh, by Ken Blanchard, that talked about this thing called coaching. How, you know, if you did training by itself, people would retain 20% of what, you know, they learned during the training. If you added coaching to that, the application and retention of the learning went up to 80%. So I thought, I, I got to check into this coaching. And I happened to be at a CE event and sat across the table from a woman who was the head of a, a, coach training organization that offered classes in the Phoenix area, which is where I was living at the time, still living, in, still living in the Phoenix area. And uh, so I had, had some conversation enrolled in those courses. And really that was my launching into uh, my professional coaching career. I started out thinking this is just, you know, something I can add on to the training I'm doing. I realized that coaching by itself was a tremendously powerful learning tool and, um, learning approach. And so I started to work one-on-one with folks and did, did some team coaching. And actually the interesting thing was during the, during the, um, coach training itself, about halfway through, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, I've been interested in leadership and really this coaching and, you know, that's this stuff and these skills related to coaching are synonymous with leadership skills. So I kind of had one of those little light bulb moments and it's like, you know if leaders could become more coach-like in how they approach their teams and you know developing their staff and their employees um that could be a real win-win situation for for everyone and so i made that connection and then really i've just kind of uh, continued down the path of uh, being an executive coach being a team coach um, doing some organizational consulting some leadership development uh, programming for various clients Within the veterinary space, and actually for a while, there are a lot outside the veterinary space, human health care. Um, we actually did um, four to five years of um, uh, leadership development uh, uh, programming modules for a local construction company that had about 600 to 700 employees, and they were looking for something that they could use to help with emerging leaders and building their leadership and strength. So really kind of happened upon a really nice career related to stuff that ultimately I'm very passionate about. So it took a while to get there, but um, here I am.
0: Yeah. Thanks for the overview. And yeah, so much to unpack there between the the beginning to the end. And one thing I wanted to rewind to the beginning. So you talked about in the middle of, of vet school, maybe right after feeling like, you know, the writing was on the wall that maybe this wasn't the right profession. Did you ever feel trapped that you weren't going to go into practice since that's probably what all your peers were doing? I mean, any worries at the time?
1: Well, I I did go into practice, so I wasn't trapped that way, but I did, I will tell you that during practice, um, you know, during that, that, uh, two to three year period of my career, there were a lot of, uh, moments when I really questioned, you know, how did I get myself into this and what am I going to do? Because I could definitely see that the path forward in that role was not going to be sustainable. So there was a lot of soul searching and really that was the beginning of, I guess, me realizing that, um, you know, my goal in life and in work was to find what are my true gifts And where is the best place for me to be able to apply those? And really with each career shift, I kind of got a little bit better at fine tuning that and got developed more self-awareness about, you know, what are my strengths? What values do I want to honor in whatever work I do? And, um, but it was, it's, you know, whenever I come to that transition point, it's tough because you realize you're, uh, you know, you're a square peg in a round hole. (laughs) <laughs> and that doesn't feel too good.
0: Absolutely. And I want to ask, and I, was, I think I know the answer based on on your story, but do you think leaders are, are made and you think there's some innate traits that, that people have that are better leaders or do you think they... Are you know born that way where they're just naturally a leader? So you hear like someone say, "Oh, they're naturally a leader." Oh, I'm not good at leading. Like you, I'm sure you hear that in your coaching realm today. How would you yeah.
1: reply to that? Gosh, well, that's this proverbial question. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot of different ways that that you can reply to it. Um, I guess I would say that you know I would lean more towards the leaders are made versus born. However, what's interesting is that. You know, part of the answer to that question is based on our thinking about leadership in general. And historically, it's been about leadership as being something that a person um, or a small group of people within, say, an organization or a veterinary practice own. And then everyone else is there to do the work. And that's an interesting thing that's happening is that's actually evolving to the point where now. more progressive thinking around leadership is that leadership is about moving from point A to point B. It's about creating positive change. You need leaders to you know get you from the current reality to a better more desirable future reality. and you need leadership. Um, so the thinking is that uh, leadership is really more of a capacity that comes from a group of people versus something that's owned by a smaller subset of the, that group of people. Does that make sense?
0: That makes sense.
1: <clears throat> so it's actually morphing. So I think in, in the you know that the question of a leaders born or, or made really fit with some of our old thinking around about leadership. but now uh, the more current thinking is that all of us have the opportunity to um, provide leadership depending on what's needed in any given circumstance. So, you know, if a particular challenge comes along and you and I are on the the same team and you have, you know, the knowledge, the skills and the aptitude to really address that challenge, then you would be the one that would kind of step up and provide leadership in that moment. And I would fall back more into a follower role. And then if something else came along and that was kind of my moment to shine, then I would step up. And I've, I've shared this with several groups, but there's a, a movie that my wife and I just watched. And I think it's called The Smile As Big As The Moon or something like that. And it's a great example in my mind of this idea of, you know, people lead from their place of strength when that that, that type of leadership is needed. And it was, the story is about the first um classroom of special ed students it was from a high school in Michigan I think that ended up going to space camp in Huntsville Alabama and up to that point this was like based in the 70s up to that point space camp was kind of reserved for the gifted kids right for the smart kids and so this special ed teacher and actually it was a pair of teachers kind of sensed that you know there's a there's an opportunity here for this class to go and they, you know, are different, but they could do just as well as the kids that have been going. And ultimately the story is about how they got to that point and the class ends up going to space camp. And there's some awesome examples within that where in one case, you know, they, they get all this stuff that they've got to uh, do. They had a year to study for it and to build models and that kind of thing. And one of the things was, They've got these boxes of these really complicated um, pieces. And, you know, they had to build a model of the, um, the, the space shuttle and the booster rockets. And one of the kids said, hey, can I take one of these home? And it's like, well, wait a minute. We've got to go through this step by step and kind of read the manuals and make sure we do it right. And he says, no, let, let me take it home. So the, the teacher let him take it home. The next day, he shows up with a fully assembled model. And he just had a natural gift for spatially looking at stuff, and you know what you or I would have taken like a week to try to do, and we'd be you know putting tab A into slot B and trying to figure out how to make it all work. This kid was naturally gifted at that, so that was an example of where he stepped up. And then there was another scene from the shuttle, that they do a simulated shuttle mission, and the student that was playing the role of the um, mission commander who was not on the shuttle but was, you know, in the um, base on the ground. There was a time where they actually failed a portion of their mission. They failed to launch a satellite because they missed the window. And the and, uh, kids that were on the, they had the roles on the shuttle were just melting down. And, you know, we're, were saying we failed. This is, you know, this is a disaster. And this kid stepped up. And in what we would say is kind of a traditional leadership role said, this is not a failure. We still have a mission to complete, you know, just cause we dropped this one ball doesn't mean that we can't do these other things and, and return this thing, you know, to, uh, land successfully. So there's just these great examples of people stepping into places where they were naturally gifted. And I think that can happen in a veterinary practice easily where traditionally we look to the owner we look to the manager, you know, maybe some of the associates to kind of lead. And sometimes if it's a big enough practice, you have team leads that then have this mantle of, okay, the buck stops with them. But that's one of the things I think we need to look at as a, as a profession is how can we create more forms of collective leadership? And that is really where the future is. And that's what the world needs right now, to be be, be honest, is we need, we need more people to um, lead from places of strength and, you know, we're, it's a network world where not everyone, you know, there's no, there's no leader with all the answers anymore. And we sometimes still cling to that hope that someone will come and save us, but it really is going to take all of us to meet some of the challenges that we're currently facing as, as uh, veterinarians, as veterinary professionals, and, as humans in a very complex world.
0: Yeah, and I, I chuck a little bit to myself and didn't want to interrupt you, but I think about like, you know, the the kid that's able to build the rocket, that would take me probably way, 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 way too long. Wow. That's just not again, that's not where that's not where Isaiah's gifts are. So I, I know inherently like, okay, yeah, I need him to lead in that role. And I think that's a a great way to think about, you know, look at your strengths and and you can really do a lot there and you don't have to be an expert at everything. And that's where, you know, as you build out the team, you can certainly, you know, find someone that can complement the skill set that you have. I, I have a lot of other questions, but curiosity now has me, as we talked about leadership here at the beginning, favorite leader that you have historical, that can be alive today. Anybody, is there a leader that sticks out that you think of? And you say that to me is what leadership is.
1: Can, can I think on that for a little while? Yeah, we'll I mean, we'll come back
0: to it. I can ask. I can ask later.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, get a, I, get a, I get a noodle on that.
0: Your LinkedIn profile again. I I love the little header, and it made me chuckle because it has the same tagline as on the website. It Talks about an enlightened rebel. Can you explain yeah. what that means?
1: Well, that's something that's uh, that title is kind of something that's evolved and emerged over the last few years. But what it, what it boils down to is. You know, I guess from my experience in the workplace and realizing that there's we're we are stuck in many ways to old forms of leadership and management that really stem from the industrial revolution, you know, 100 years ago. And we needed to have pyramids and we needed to have information kind of flowing up and flowing down. And 100 years ago, when all this started, I mean, there it was possible to have heroic leadership. It was possible to have someone, you know, in a high level. Um, that knew what needed to be done, and then everyone else's job was just to follow orders, and that was possible then. But increasingly, I guess I've, you know, in my experience, I've seen that we we've, we're clinging to some of these old notions of management and leadership that are top down, they're they're power over versus power with, and so that that that's really the kind of the design that's underpins those. So, the enlightened rebel piece is really about realizing that there are better ways for us to work together there is it's possible that we can create um, work environments where most people are engaged versus what statistics tell us you know is not the case most people are disengaged at work meaning you know they're clocking in clocking out something better comes along they, they move on and we've got challenges with turnover in the veterinary profession because because of that in some cases so it's really noticing that there can be a better way to work together and and there's going to need to be some creative destruction of the old ways so that we can move on to new ways. So the enlightened part would be, hey, there's a better way to work together. The rebel part is, hey, we're going to have to tear some things down and build some different things in, in its place. So moving to more um, forms of um, power with you know, having positional leaders not be the hero, but to kind of take on more the role of a facilitator or someone that just needs to realize, hey, there's here's the bigger picture here. Here's what we're trying to accomplish together and then be someone that facilitates conversations with everyone around how do we address this current challenge that we're facing? How do we move forward? So they have to be more gifted in areas not of direction, but areas of facilitation, coaching, um, co-creation, um, you know, again, a t- totally different skill set than what we've traditionally relied on from leaders in the past. So the answer to your question, which I'm still thinking about, maybe, maybe I'll come up with a name or some names, but my perfect leader would be someone that's kind of adopted that mindset of shifting from power over to power with.
0: And then when we think about coaching and consultants. How do you distinguish between the two and how do you know when you need one versus another? Can you kind of explain the differences there? I know that sometimes people will think of them very similarly, and they are different,
1: right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So one, one way that I remember it from coach training is someone said that as a consultant, uh, the client has questions and you have answers as a coach. The client has answers and you have questions, although it would happen the other way. You have questions, the client has answers. So a consultant is typically more of an expert model, which is, again, more in alignment with our older notions of leadership, where experts you know, come in with the answers and basically tell you what to do and then walk away, and then you're supposed to, to do those things. And we all know that sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm, and I'm not downplaying the importance of consultants because... There are times when you need expert opinions to come in and say, hey, here's a model that you know if you apply this model, um, you would be very successful. And that's that's happened a lot. Actually, the veteran profession's benefited from lots of great consultants that have come in and said, Hey, I can help you with your you know, your finances, I can help you with your know, practice sales, whatever it might be. But a coach then is gonna be more useful when the the work is probably internal work where it's around um, partnering with with you as the client to do some internal work around how do I how do I be better as a leader? How do I um, decide what my career path is going to be going forward? And it's it's based on the notion that all of us are you know creative, resourceful, and whole. We have the ability to come up with our own answers. We don't need someone to graph those on us or download us on those. And sometimes. We actually resist you know unsolicited advice from the outside so it's more of creating a container for you to do some thinking about your thinking to um do a deeper dive around you know what are the values that i want to honor here in this whatever the situation is or you know what's going to move help me move forward and um it's, it's really more of a partnering process that's less about bringing external expertise and more about helping you find your own path forward. So it's, uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but.
0: Yeah, no, that's perfect. And that absolutely answers the question and, and helps, I think, delineate between the two as far as knowing which is which. And
1: yeah. um, there could be a need there. You know, there's often a need for, for both depending on what the the scenario is. Absolutely. Uh, for an individual, yeah.
0: You've written quite a bit. So you had a, a number of different you know articles, and I know you kind of co-wrote a series. And you, you think about you know burnout in the profession, and that's talked about a lot. From a coaching perspective, you had a, an article called Extinguish the Fire and Burnout. Can you touch yeah. on a little bit of what went into that and, and why you're you know, passionate about that aspect of it and how the coaching element fits there.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, there's a, a personal element there because I was, it's probably been a couple years ago now, or at least a year and a half. Uh, my wife would probably tell you longer, but uh, we'll go with, we'll go with my story. <laughs> I got, you know, I was getting to the point where it's like, you know, I've had, a, had really a great run with, you know, coaching and, and I still enjoy coaching, but the, you know, running gifted leaders, being the founder, you know, a lot of great things have happened, but I just found myself getting to the point where, you know, I'm just not feeling it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to maybe, um, struggle a little bit and wondering what's next. And that's happened to me in my career several times where I kind of get to a turning point and realize, okay, something's got to change here. And so I actually was kind of feeling that way. And I ran across this article, in the, and the article that Trey and I wrote talks about, kind of captures this a little bit. But I ran across this article, I think it was from mindful.org, and it was like, you know, is it is it uh, burnout or um, is it just a bad day? And so I'm reading the article, and it lists some of the typical um, symptoms of burnout. And uh, I'm kind of going down through the list, and you know, the first one is uh, emotional and physical exhaustion. I was sensing a little bit of that, so okay, check off, check that one off. Um, the second one is feelings of self-doubt, ineffectiveness, lack of accomplishment, and you know, to various degrees, you know, some of those things were present. So I'm going to check. And then the last one was detachment and cynicism, and and I was I was definitely sensing, yeah, there's there's some of that going on. And so I I don't know, it was the next day I go I share this with my wife and said, Hey, I was reading this article and here's this list. And I was going down through the list and, you know, the first one, exhaustion, you check. The second one, feelings of self-doubt, ineffectiveness. check. Third one, I say, detachment and cynicism. And before I could say anything, cause I was just kind of going through and, you know, I was verbally checking them off. She goes, check. Hmm. So, so she was definitely picking up on the fact that, you know, I was struggling with that. And so I think, you know, it's, I guess it's something that we can all experience from time to time. And there's, there's various degrees. It certainly can be helpful. Um, you know, you ask about how it's coaching fit into that. I think, you know, one of the big values of coaching is, again, it, it creates that container where you can kind of get off the treadmill of what you've been doing. And you have a partner that can help you think through, you know, what is, what's going on here? Where is this coming from? Um, You know, what are the emotions that you're feeling? Um, You know, what are some of the uh, underlying stories that you're telling yourself about this? Are those true? Are they not true? So a coach can really help unpack whatever someone's experiencing in a given situation, you know, from the physical uh, exhaustion to the emotional um, ramifications of what's happening and then help you get kind of, centered and recentered in my case around you know what are the values that you want to honor in your life what are the gifts that you you know you don't know, want to make sure that you can express and really kind of um, figure out a way to move forward and maybe kind of work through what are some of the things that um, need to happen to uh, kind of get through this this these feelings of burnout for me it was really about stepping off the treadmill of and you know, I've been trying to um, build the business and do regular um, social media posts and newsletters, and and I enjoyed some of that. But I, for me, I just need to step back from that and just create some space. And also, for me, taking a little bit of a social media cleanse and not being so drawn to that and distracted by that was important. And again, you know, for me, being able to kind of process that with an external coach was very helpful to um, figure out what's the best what's the best path forward and it's it wasn't like a light bulb shift but it was there was a, sh- a shift that's actually I'd say still in play as far as you know the next uh, phase of my career is still something that I'm trying to figure out but I have much more clarity than I did when I first read that article and my wife uh, confirmed the fact that I was being too much of a cynic
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, for being so open and transparent and, and honest with how you were feeling and know that can be difficult. But I think those examples, even when you can share about where you're coming from is super helpful for others to, to be able to reflect and think and, and go through that. So I think those three kind of criteria or that, that checklist is, is extremely helpful.
1: <clears throat> and that's the, you know, that's the, Isaiah, that's the kind of work that, you know, uh we first started to you know with the uh, original um, podcast that you did uh, as part of the vet partners meeting you know talking about what's what is something you want the profession to know and i was saying you know the benefits of coaching are something that anyone can benefit from you know elite athletes use coaches you know uh, very extensively to help them uh work through well, not just the mechanics of what they're trying to do but a lot of the emotional and and um, psychological stuff that is important. So, coaches can really uh, help um, create that space for us to get off the busy treadmill of our lives, and you know, trying to meet other people's expectations or to meet the next level of performance, and really help you unpack and kind of process. You know, what's really important here, and and um, how can I move forward, and how do I, you know, how do I maintain? an integrated life that balances both work and whatever responsibilities and passions that I want to honor outside of work as well.
0: In the various different years of coaching and even going back to some of your days in in HR and dealing and talking to veterinarians and and veterinary professionals, what would be something from that coaching element that in those conversations or, or trends or things that you've seen that maybe would surprise other people in the industry that they don't know? Is there anything that really stands out that you're thinking about?
1: I don't know if it's surprising or not, but I'm just thinking of what's kind of coming to mind is one is how entrenched in, you know, old theories and examples of leadership and kind of how, how things should work, people can be. I'm thinking of a couple of practice owners who really were worried about, well, one specific example, um, A practice owner was concerned about going on vacation and was worried that the practice would implode during that person's absence. And and over time, actually, what became clear was that there was this burden of I'm I'm the owner. I have to have all the answers. And I guess what was surprising is how much of an epiphany it can be for people to realize, hey. You know, I don't have to be large and in charge. I, I can actually take challenges that the practice is facing and put them in front of the team and say, you know, what do we do about this? And actually have the team help create the leadership needed to move forward. So I think, um, you know, it can be surprising how easy that shift can be and how important it is for, for uh, people that are in positional leadership positions to realize hey i can i can let go of some things here and and uh i don't know the pressure doesn't all have to be on me we can actually distribute this amongst the whole team and you know figure out ways to co-create the path forward versus having to figure it all out so i don't know if that, that that's what that came to mind in response to your question but there's probably some other things that uh you know are surprising along the way as well i guess one thing is is um You know, one that I would add would be that uh, as beneficial as coaching can be, you know, a coaching relationship can be for really anyone, but certainly people that have the positional leadership responsibilities. And that could be, again, owners or managers or even associates that are looked up to or team leads. What is somewhat surprising is that there's less adoption of coaching as a tool that people are using versus you know, it's read, readily agreed that management consultants and their their value is is um, something that practices uh, will bring in, but um, less so with coaches. So, I guess that's a little bit surprising to me that there's less interest in coaching as a as a tool to help people um, navigate some of the challenges of uh, working in a stressful environment like we all work in.
0: I think, and I I want to get back to delegation because I've heard that a couple other times And the first example that you gave really seems to hone in on that as well, as far as how difficult it seems to be for someone that is maybe seen as the, we'll just say alpha or the owner or the person in charge where the buck stops here, how difficult within veterinary medicine it is to delegate. And I'm sure, and I know that that happens in other industries, but it seems to be a reoccurring theme. And the second part that I would just comment is on the coaching aspects. You think about like LeBron James, greatest basketball player in the NBA, and he still has coaches and trainers and people he works with all the time to get better. And you give yeah. that you know example of athletes, and you really think about it, you are like, no, they really do, and that's how they continue to get better and become world class. And that's something that you know as as Isaiah, uh, you know, I I think about that. I am like. Yeah. At some point I absolutely should have a coach because if I want to get better and continue to do better for the people that I work with, I need someone to push me and and also help me solve the issues and some of the things that you just talked about. So I think that's a great example of just trying to be self-aware of, you know, we all have blind spots and we're always, you know, going to have those until someone else can come in and say, well, why are you doing it this way? Have you thought about doing it this way? You're telling me this, but why do you do it like that?
1: Yeah. It, it's you know it's interesting. You're right. I mean, the, but it is it is something that um, is recognized that high achieving professionals are often self self made. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, you know, to be able to um, navigate the challenges of you know, again, from a, a veterinarian standpoint, getting into vet school, which is very can be very competitive. Uh, maybe getting that coveted uh, internship or residency, which can be very competitive. You know, shifting gears to more of a collaborative mode is, is is just it's not that's not what we've known, right? So, it it's it, it can be a challenge to let go and realize, okay, I, I can, you know, not have all the answers. I can not know what the right path forward is. So, I think that's definitely a given that that's that's built into the system. And then I, I was going to comment, you know, the athlete analogy again, it's not, it's, it's not some, I don't, I don't think, I don't know for sure, but my sense is that, you know, athletic coaches are maybe doing a little work around the technical aspects of the game, whatever that game might be, basketball or tennis or whatever. But my guess is that a lot of the coaching is really around the motivational, the emotional, the psychological, the you know those those aspects the things that are below the surface of the actual performance if you think about an iceberg you know what's above the surface is is the result it's the performance it's it's what's being done it's the doing right it's the action but below the surface are all the other things like the emotional aspects and the you know nutrition and the wholeness and you know, how does stress show up in your body? You know, how does, how does, what's the somatic influence and how can that inform, you know, the emotional state you're having? How can you, you know, create more of an opportunity to look at what happens, not as a failure, but as an opportunity to learn. So there's all that work that really, I think, you know, athletic coaches can help people, athletic performers get better at, which doesn't have to do with the actual technical skills. So, uh, you know to me it's the the technical stuff is the easier stuff than the what sometimes is referred to as the soft stuff right the the touchy feely stuff that's a lot harder for us to get our our arms around so i think there's probably some because it's an unknown and because it's it's more intuitive and it's less tangible in some ways that you know that that may be why people aren't as open to doing that work because It's it's an unknown. It's it's.
0: It's hard to quantify the results. How would you say? You know, I talked with Jeff, and I have this clarity versus I didn't. Like it's hard to measure that.
1: (laughs) Exactly right. I'm more aware of how I'm showing up in a in a given situation. Well, hopefully that hopefully that translates into some behavioral results. And so there's ways through coaching that you can kind of build feedback in, or you can use external assessments to, you know, and or you can just um, work with folks to actually go and solicit feedback, which is another thing that's hard for high performing professionals to do, is to go ask someone, you know, to say, Hey, how how am I showing up and how is that impacting you? Those are just difficult questions to do. But you can quantify it a little bit, but you're right, it's it's a little bit twishier than (laughs) other things.
0: Yeah, and that's actually gonna lead perfectly into the next question, which was gonna be around what's evidence based coaching. I, I know you mentioned that in your answer prior um, in the one question and I wanted to come back to that and kind of give you a a platform to explain what that is and maybe that helps quantify or or think through the results and the impacts of coaching.
1: Yeah, I think the way I'd answer that is that and it's kind of, it kind of relates to one of the things we talked about, um, you know, when we were together last was this idea of big C coaching versus little c coaching. And big C coaching is really the the evidence-based, the it's something that's delivered by someone that's highly trained, that has uh, coach specific hours of education, that has some kind of uh, skill development uh, around some key coaching competencies, things like active listening, uh, powerful questioning, direct communication, coaching presence, those kinds of things, which are in some ways basic communication skills. But in coach training, you kind of take those to a deeper you know, next level of, of competency. So someone that has that and then someone that has basically been trained in a coaching model, which most coaching models, there's a lot of them out there. Most of them will follow a basic trajectory of awareness, choice, and action. So an awareness is the bigger chunk. And that's where you really kind of peel in the onion, uh, that analogy, to help uh, an individual get clear about what it, what's the current reality, you know, what's my story about it, what beliefs and assumptions maybe am I making, and are those accurate or not accurate? You know, what are different perspectives that others might have? What are different perspectives that I might choose to adopt and how can I, you know, maybe how could I reframe that? So, you know, that, that is something that, you know, again, is, Part of that model. So there's training around a specific model that uh, usually starts with goals. It starts with the person that's being coached presenting. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to. I want where I want to be. What does that actually look like? So getting some clarity around what the purpose of the the coaching conversation or engagement is. So there's this larger package in Big C coaching that's really about that comprehensive training that is. Uh, something that can create transformation. And over and over again, you you see, you know, that those kinds of results from coaching processes where people do have increased self-awareness, they do have behavioral changes that, again, can be quantified um, in different ways, um, like we've talked about uh, a little bit before this, and that, you know, can move people and create different outcomes for them uh, in their work or in their life. So, It's that that is in contrast. That would be the you know the big C coaching versus little C coaching, which is someone saying, Hey, I'm going to coach you, but really that's just a way to say, I'll give you some advice about how I think you got to handle this situation. I think that answers your question.
0: Yeah. So I I feel like little C coaching sometimes can be like almost like asking a friend, Hey, what would you do in this situation? And they're going to be like, Well, you know, maybe think about it this way, or you would do this, where you know, the big C coaching is going to kind of get. Deeper and try to to flush out some of the, the details that maybe people typically don't share in a specific situation, but can then yeah. hopefully provide clarity on the back end.
1: And little C coaching can be also absolutely true. Can be, can also be more around just basic problem solving. You know, I need to do better at time management. Okay, well, you know, do you have a, a, a you know some way to track what you're doing? I mean, basically, kind of looking at it that way. Well, what the real issue may be a underlying value around something is more important than, you know, doing a better job with time management. So um, that's where a big C coaching can really, really be helpful and differentiate it from, you know, just basic problem solving and, and advice, advice giving, which I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of people offering me advice that I haven't asked for. And actually, even if I have asked for it, a little bit of it goes a very long way.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I get reminded of the the advice thing. Talking to my wife, a lot of times it's just, you know, she wants to explain something that's going on because I don't know her world oh. and what she's got going on. And then, you know, I think it's a, a male trait to be like, oh, well, this is how you should handle it. Trying, yeah, to, right. trying to catch myself to just shut up and just let her talk and be like, hmm, yeah. Um, yeah. but I think that's, that's tough to, to do and, and change, but I would agree with you.
1: There's a great book called, uh, you're reminding me there's a great book called the, um, coaching habit is the name of the book. And, uh, he, he brings up this idea of, we all have, uh, what this advice monster that's kind of locked up inside of us. And many of us aren't very good about keeping the advice monster locked up and we turn it loose on unsuspecting people. And it doesn't necessarily always, uh, end well. Uh, But that whole idea of the advice monster um, is a fun thing that we've played around with in some sessions we've done, some trainings we've done around developing coaching skills that you can use, you know, as a leader in a leadership role or actually just as a person. Again, being a better coach doesn't only apply to people that are in positional leadership roles. It can be something we can all use as parents, as friends, as partners and different ways but he uh he he made us think about uh, that whole idea the advice monster and bringing that up and then we have these little you can get these little finger puppets from i think it's uh not original training i think it's rg mcphee has these little finger puppets that are like little um alien monstrous looking things so we hand those out and that could be a a good reminder for folks to uh, put that on their finger and you know when they're on the phone with someone or even if they're sitting at their desk and they have the thing sitting there uh, looking at them, they, it can be a good reminder to just keep the advice monster at bay and um, ask some good questions and uh, help the other person figure out, you know, the answer to their problem or their challenge instead of telling them what to do.
0: I love it. I'll have to remember to to keep the advice monster locked away as much as I can. Um, <laughs> uh, transitioning, I guess, from from kind of that coaching perspective a little bit, your experience across the industry has seen a lot of different roles and you've talked about kind of the evolution of, of where you've been and and how that's changed. What do you think makes veterinary medicine great? You've, you've worked with a ton of people you've had a lot of conversations. What makes it so great?
1: I, you know, I think, I think it's the people. I mean, I think it's, you know, one of the things that's really cool about the profession is, um, down to earth folks that are attracted to it. I think, I think we all are attracted to, you know, the, the greater good of the human animal bond and how that can make a difference in people's lives. Um, I think, so that would be a piece of it too, is there's this sense of, you know, where we are all kind of rallying around this noble purpose that, um, you know, brings a lot of benefits to people in many different ways. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think it's, those are the things that come to mind for me is just the, the human-animal bond, the type of people that are attracted to doing work related to supporting that, and um, I don't know, just the all-around nature of people that that we come into contact as part of this profession. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that I've done some work outside the profession, and of course, you know, my my first exposure to to uh, the work world was in you know through vet school was obviously a heavy dose of veterinary medicine however um i don't I, I think i think i've always kind of gravitated back to the profession just because of those things um you know again what we do who we do it for um what the the results of the work that we do and how that benefits society i think is something that's been you know kind of draw me back from at one point thinking oh, i don't you know i'm I I got here by going through, you know, vet school and ending up here, but I don't, I don't ever have to go back and, you know, work exclusively with uh, veterinary professionals. And uh, at one point I I pretty much, you know, thought I could just walk away and, you know, hang out in human health care or even construction or architecture or some of the other clients we've had and be just as happy there. But I have always kind of been drawn back. So there's something magical there.
0: And and I would agree and and not to belabor the point, I think you summed it up really, really well. Um, I echo those thoughts. I just wanted to, to ask as someone that's had a lot of conversations and seen the industry in a lot of different lights. Um, so when you think about coaching, you have a lot of conversations around helping someone get to maybe where they would deem success. How would you define success in your personal and professional life? And maybe that's kind of changed as you've had some self-discoveries and kind of the story that you shared earlier as well, but I would love to, to hear your answer on that.
1: Well, I, we could spend a lot of time on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I guess a couple of things come immediately to mind. One is been part of my journey and that's to figure out how to be a square peg in a square hole and not a square peg in a round hole. So there's something there about authenticity. And, um, I guess I believe that we're all kind of born with, you know, key gifts and and a purpose that we're destined to fulfill and we have a choice whether we we pursue that or not um so i think being true to who you are designed to be uh, is a is a pretty key part of that um you know from a a strengths values purpose standpoint just finding where those things intersect and where you can really contribute to the best of your ability uh based on your design and to me it's a god-given design so You know, we're stewards of that, and our job is to make sure that we are good stewards of making, you know, finding the right match. And the other is closely related that, again, I first thought of is, and this is somewhat related to the, you know, the journey I've been on since realizing I was in somewhat of a burnout phase and taking some time, you know, stepping off the treadmill. Um, doing some personal reflection, and I th- I think success really comes down to being able to strike the right balance between doing and being. So if we go back to that idea of of an um, an iceberg, you know the the doing stuff is is the smaller portion above the surface line, which is again easy to see, quantifiable. Um, it's that treadmill that we seem to just naturally gravitate to as humans. We're always about producing something or doing something or creating something. And that's not all bad at all. That's, that's good stuff. But below the surface, which we often get distracted and forget about is, you know, who are we being, who are we showing up as, Uh, what do we want to make sure that we honor in our life? Um, There's a big piece around Brene Brown's work around, Uh, wholeness and wellness there and that's below the surface so the reality is that you know we're we're whole and worthy um, just as as we are regardless of whether we accomplish anything or do anything so I think it's kind of coming to terms with that balance of yes it's important that we do accomplish things in life However, we can't be driven by those. And I think too many of us are driven by, you know, the next hoop to jump through, the next rung on the ladder, the what are other people expecting of us? That's a huge one is, you know, and for a long time I was and I think I actually I probably went to vet school in some ways because I, you know, was um, expected by my parents and relatives to do something important, right? So to me, it, it was like, I need to be either a doctor, a lawyer or a veterinarian. Hmm. And uh, I, I, I made the right choice of those three. But uh, <laughs> but, the, you know, a lot of that came from, you know, I, I was a great, I was a great student, you know, really, because I had a photographic memory, and I could navigate the system well, and I had no problem in, in school. But in hindsight, you know, I was probably designed to, to be a coach. I was probably designed to be someone that looks at the cultural aspects of a situation, not just about what's being accomplished and, and, and you know, uh, strives for, for that balance. So I think it comes, you know, again, comes back around to, to not being a, a slave to uh, either your own uh, expectations or others and um, stepping back and making sure that you're balancing your life with the beings the being elements the um getting out in nature um i don't know just a whole list trey and i wrote a, um, another article in today's veterinary business uh, that actually uh, explores that question are you a human being or human doing And so we kind of contrast the the two ends of the spectrum again Advocating for balance, but realizing that many of us are kind of in a state of imbalance and there's an opportunity to to self-correct in that.
0: Yeah, thank you for, again, uh, a wonderful answer and response. Not that there's a right or wrong, but I just really enjoy letting people kind of share their thoughts around success because it is such a hard thing to grasp and uh, understand. But as we... As we wind down, if someone wanted to reach out, follow your work, get in touch with you, where would you direct them or encourage them to, to check out some of the resources about you know who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, I think um, probably the one easy place would be a LinkedIn profile. It's just, um, I think if you just Google, actually, there I think there might be another Jeff Thorne, but if you, if you if you uh, not Google, but if you go on the LinkedIn um, site and search for me, you know, you'll, you'll know when you find me. It's the one, I'm the one with the, the veterinary background. Uh, and then the other would be just to reach out uh, to my email, jeff at giftedleaders.com.
0: And I will link to both. And, uh, thank you so much again for joining me and sharing your thoughts and insights and wisdom around coaching and sharing some of your personal stories. Really, really appreciate that.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Well, again, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcast and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links, and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the com. Scroll down to the about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening and I'll be talking again to you soon.